Okay, so here we are in our journey through Mark, and we are, uh, as many of you know, we've been in Mark, uh, I think, a little bit over a year now or so, and we're just doing a, a series of studies, making our way through, and today we come to chapter 13, and we're going to be uh, looking at the entire chapter, so that's why I wanted us to read the whole chapter. Um, you know, when everything's said and done, when we finish the Gospel of Mark, we might not have commented on every single verse, but we will have read together every single verse of Mark. And so we come today uh, to this passage that is commonly called the Olivet Discourse. And it's called that because this um, teaching of Jesus happened on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is across uh, the east side of the city of Jerusalem. And so as he was there with his disciples and they were observing things, this is, this is where he uh, spoke them from. So people commonly call it the Olivet Discourse. Uh, it's also found in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. It is not in John's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, there are just slightly different things that kind of give us the, the fuller picture. Sometimes that's what happens um, you get, you know, Mark tends to be brief. That's kind of just his way of writing. And so sometimes uh, Luke and, and Matthew will fill in some of the blanks. So we're going to quote from both uh, Matthew and Luke because they will at a certain point fill in um, the blanks for us. But the context, as we see here, is uh, the temple. So Jesus and, and the disciples, they had been in the temple. Last time we uh, were together, we looked at the, um, well, well, we looked at the, the second commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself. But we saw in there also, remember, uh, the poor widow, how she was there in the temple and she gave just that small portion. Jesus said she had given more than everyone else. And, and so now they, they have left the temple. But as they're leaving, as we see here, as they went out of the temple in verse one, one of his disciples said, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. So of course they had been around the temple and they had visited it many times and Jesus had taught there. But for whatever reason, at this moment, one of the disciples, we don't know who it was, was just suddenly awestruck with the whole thing. And understandably, because this temple was extraordinary. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And it was um, just something that would even be hard for us to visualize today because it was so magnificent. Uh, if you've ever been to Greece or if you've ever just maybe seen a picture of the Parthenon um, on the Acropolis in Athens, um, now that building is like 3,000 years old, or not quite that, 2,500 years or so. And um, it's still, you know, it's still intact. A lot of it is still intact today. And one of the things is its magnificence. You look at it and you think, oh, that is just so uh, amazing, this, this building from so long ago. Well, the, the temple in Jerusalem was even more uh, elaborate. And it, it was a greater structure than even the Parthenon. So that'll just give you an idea. So at this moment, one of the disciples, he's just, he's awestruck by it all. So 
they cross over. Well, before they do that, Jesus said, um, yeah, look at these great buildings. And then he said this, not one stone shall be left upon another. That, that would have just seemed inconceivable. I mean, how, how could this possibly uh, be dismantled or, or demolished? It didn't even seem like it could possibly happen. And so now they, they cross over from the temple. They go across the valley up onto the Mount of Olives. And so in verse 3, we read that as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so they're looking at the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? So there's two things that they want to know. Number one, you just said there's not going to be one stone left upon another. When is that going to happen? And when will all of these things take place? Now, Matthew helps us here. He's a little more specific. The second thing they said is this, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so that is what Jesus is going to explain to them. Now, here's the interesting thing, and it's not always recognizable, and it's especially not recognizable from Matthew and Mark. Jesus is actually talking about uh, two, one event that happens twice. It's going to happen once in the near future, and it's going to happen a, a, a second time in the very distant future. And Luke is the one who tells us about the near future judgment that's going to come. And so let me read to you from Luke for a moment. Luke chapter 21. So as I was saying, talking about the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. These are all parallel passages with slightly different um, wording at times, and then additional information like we have with Luke. So here's what Luke says. Luke says this, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. And here's something very specific to Luke. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. And then, but woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days, for there's going to be great distress in the land, specifically Israel, and wrath upon this people, the Jewish people. And then Luke says this, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So, this discourse is about the destruction of Jerusalem that will come about 37 years from this moment that we're reading about here, but it's also about the destruction of Jerusalem that will come at a yet future date to where we are right now here, September 1st, 2019. So both things are included. Now, one of them obviously happened already, and that's where the Luke reference is so important because what happened already is that in 70 AD, the Romans came and under the direction of Titus, 
they destroyed the temple. And just like it says here, they would fall by the edge of the sword. They slaughtered a multitude of Jews and then they led them away captive into all of the nations and they leveled Jerusalem. And for just about 2,000 years, Jerusalem was trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Now, that, that has partially ended, but it will actually occur again. So led away captive into all the nations, and yet now they've come back, and Jerusalem, of course, is the capital of Israel under Jewish leadership. So there's that first event. And now, as we pick up now, we're talking about something that is not yet happened, something that will happen in the future. And so that is in regard to uh, the second question. What is the sign of your coming in the end of the age, as Matthew puts it? So when will these things be? They happened in 70 AD. But what is the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now, Jesus goes on. And beginning in verse 5 through verse 13, he shows us uh, what the age will be marked by. So it's important for us to understand. And, and let me just say this. this is, these are complicated things here. And there's all different kinds of opinions among Bible teachers and commentators and even Bible scholars. And, you know, just how do you sort out exactly what Jesus is talking about? So we're going to do our best to understand what he's talking about. But I think it's, it's very important to understand that Jesus is talking about time as we have known it since his uh, first coming to right to this very moment. And then he's talking about a very specific period of time that hasn't started yet. So verses five through 13 describe time and history as it has been since Christ came to this very moment. And look what he says. The age is going to be marked by, um, well, verse five, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. It's going to be marked by religious deception. There are going to be uh, false messiahs that will come. And then it goes on and it says, but when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and troubles. And these are all the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pains. So this is what has transpired since the time of Jesus to this very day. Many false Christ have arisen. Many uh, false religious systems have arisen since then. Uh, the, the, the world itself has been plagued by wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And of course, there's been catastrophes. There's been earthquakes and famines and floods and all kinds of troubles. These are the things that have marked this age. And it's the age that we're still in at this moment. 
But, and one additional thing, as Jesus goes on to say, um, there's going to be persecution. Watch out for yourselves. They will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings. Uh, Verse 11, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate. Uh, Verse 12, now brother will betray brother, father his child, and and so on. You're going to be hated. So persecution is another thing that has marked the age. And like I said, it's, it's the way things are today. And they've been that way since the time of Jesus. But verse 14 is where everything changes. Verse 14 takes us now to a specific time that has not yet come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, Let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter and take anything out of his house. And let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. Uh, Those who are pregnant or nursing in those days, uh, and pray that your flight may not be in the winter for in those days, verse 19, there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. So, this is what we call, this is a description of what we call the great tribulation. And right here, I I want you to um, look with me at... uh, Verse 19, as I I just read it here, verse 19. In those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation. So we know since the beginning of the creation, the greatest catastrophic event that's ever happened is the flood, the flood of Noah's day. But Jesus said that this tribulation is going to be even worse than that. And so this is the, the time of of the great judgment that God will bring upon the earth for um, all of these thousands and thousands of years of revolt against him. There's a judgment day that's going to come. Now, in order to understand this, this point, this point where everything changes, we have to think about Daniel for a minute. So, because he refers to something that's spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So, remember, and we did, not too long ago, we were in a text that, that um, we talked about some of this stuff. But let me remind you that in Daniel, in the ninth chapter of Daniel... Um, it's revealed to Daniel that he's going to be given information about um, the culmination of everything, basically. And he, he's told certain things are going to happen. And when these things happen, prophecy will be fulfilled. The most holy will be anointed. Uh, everything's going to come to its final conclusion. 
And he's told that this is going to take place at the end of 77-year periods that are yet determined for the Jewish people. Now, Daniel's getting this understanding at the end of a 70-year period that they had just gone through, a 70-year period of captivity in Babylon. And so Daniel's thinking about what does the future hold? And the angel reveals to him, actually, there's another 70-year period coming, but it's not 70 years. It's 70 uh, times seven years. So it's, it's a 490-year period. But the period is going to be broken in two the first part of it will be 483 years, 69 of these seven-year periods. And then there's going to be one final seven-year period that will complete everything that God promised to the nation. So, Daniel, in the ninth chapter, verses 26 and 27 Here, Daniel is told that the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the Romans did that in 70 AD. That's exactly what they did. They destroyed the city and the sanctuary. But then it goes on in the next verse, verse 27. It says, then he shall confirm a covenant for one week. Now the he is the prince that was just previously referred to. So the prince of the people who are to come. So the people, as I said, were the Romans. The Romans, it's historical fact, the Romans destroyed the city and the sanctuary in 70 AD. So this prince who comes from that people, he is going to establish a covenant with them for one week. So the... um, the, the first 69 weeks, the first 69 seven-year periods, that's the word week just means seven. That's the literal meaning of the word. So 69 seven-year periods, at the end of that, something happened. And Daniel told us about it. We just didn't read it. Uh, the Messiah came, but he was cut off. He was executed. He was put to death. But he didn't die for himself, it says. But then it goes on, and talks about the destruction of the temple and so forth. So Jesus comes, it ends the 69, seven-year periods. There's one week left. That's the point. There's one week that still hasn't been fulfilled. So in the future, there's a prince that's going to come, and he's going to confirm the covenant with the Jewish people for one week, for for a seven-year period. But here's the key. He, in the middle of the week he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So halfway through the seven-year period, which is three and a half years or two, 1,260 days, or 1,290 days as it, as it has it here. Um, at that point, he's gonna break the covenant and that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, Then Mark adds, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountain. So everything else is in the context of that 
final three and a half year period. So everything that we read from verse 14 on is, it happens after um, that event. So here we are today. And just as Jesus said, wars, rumors of wars, famine, false Christ, persecution. These are the things that are happening. At some point, this prince is going to make a covenant with the Jewish people. We don't know when that's going to happen, but at some point in the future, he's going to make a covenant. We don't even know what the covenant entails. Some have suggested that it's going to be an agreement that will allow them to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That very well could be the case. The Bible doesn't say that's the case, but it could be the case. Seems like a reasonable uh, guess. So the covenant will be made, and for three and a half years, the Jewish people are going to be in, man, this is the great, that's the greatest thing. This is what, what we've been waiting for. We've got peace around us. We're rebuilding this temple. But halfway into it, this person is going to go into the temple. And Paul tells us this in 2 Thessalonians. He's going to go into this rebuilt temple. The temple is assumed, so it's going to be rebuilt at some point. And he is going to command everyone to worship him as God. He's going to declare himself God, and he's going to demand to be worshiped as God. That's the abomination of desolation that Jesus is talking about here. And as we read it in Daniel, um, he's going to put an end to the uh, sacrifice and offering. So the sacrifices and offerings will be resumed, but he's going to stop it all and say, no, I'm the one you worship me. And Revelation chapter 13 gives us even more insight because it tells us that there is both the person we commonly call the Antichrist, but there's also a false prophet and he's going to make an image and it's going to be the image of this man that's put in the temple and everyone is going to be um, then called to worship. So that will bring about the great tribulation. So the time of God's wrath, this great tribulation that Jesus is talking about, that there's never been anything like it before, um, this is actually a three and a half year period. And it's going to be uh, from that moment when that abomination of desolation is set up, that's when uh, the judgment will begin. So we have, as, as we've seen, a time of trouble, verse 19, verses 21 and 22, we have here a reference to this person we call the Antichrist. And here in verse 21 and 22, it doesn't specify um, the, the individual or the two individuals, but it says, uh, if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, or he is there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise, and listen, they will show signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. So this is where, again, Paul tells us about their, they have this, this supernatural power given to them, this false prophet and the Antichrist from Satan. And they're working signs and wonders. So that's what Jesus tells us. But then verse 26 tells us about the actual second coming. So verse 26 says, then... Uh, After the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So remember the question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus, this is it. This is, this is the sign. The abomination of desolation. That will be the trigger. That will be the signal that the end is here and his return is near. So he goes on and he says this in verse 28. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it, my coming would be the it, is near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, this statement, this generation will not pass away, has been greatly misunderstood. Uh, some people say this statement is proof that Jesus was wrong about things. So when you people, you Christian people, talk about Jesus being God and knowing everything, uh, you're wrong. Because obviously Jesus didn't know everything because he thought that he was going to come back before that generation passed away. And it obviously passed away. Well, that's not the generation Jesus was talking about. Other people have said, well, this generation is, uh, this is a reference to the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. And the promise is that the Jewish people will continue to be a people and they will not go out of existence and, uh, before um, these things take place. I think that's a poor uh, way to understand it as well. The way to understand it, I think, is quite simple. It's the generation that sees everything that he just talked about. The generation that sees the tribulation begin will be the generation that sees the Lord return. That's the generation that's being referred to. But this parable of the fig tree, we have to talk about this for a moment. And we have to note Luke's uh, use of the same sentence with an addition. Luke says this, now learn this parable from the fig tree and all the trees. So you see, Luke adds, and all the trees. Now, a parable is a story that is taken from just everyday life that the people you're listening to would totally get it. Um, for example, we have in Matthew 25, we have the parable of the 10 virgins. And some were wise and some were foolish. Some uh, brought oil in their lamp. Uh, some did not. The bridegroom came. The ones that were ready, they went into the wedding. The other ones, they didn't have what they needed. They had to go get it. Now, Bible teachers have done this over the years, decades, centuries probably, um, looked at the parable of the, of, of the virgins and tried to take from it all different kinds of things. Okay, who are the virgins? Well, those are the really pure Christians. The ones, ones don't have oil. Well, that means they don't have the Holy Spirit. So some have the Holy Spirit, some don't have the Holy Spirit. So you end up with this interpretation that says, 
basically, some Christians are going to be taken by the Lord in the rapture and some Christians are going to be left behind. Well, that creates a huge problem because you're either, a, if you're a Christian, you're part of the body of Christ. Jesus isn't going to, uh, you know, split his body in two and take part of it to heaven and leave the other part on earth. The problem is it's a misinterpretation of the parable because a parable is a story that illustrates one point, not five points. It illustrates one point. And the parable of the virgin is a very simple point. Be ready. The people in Jesus's day, they would have totally got it. It was crystal clear to them. Oh, he's telling us to be ready. Just like, you know, the virgins were ready. We need to be ready too. The parable of the fig tree is the same thing. He's telling us one thing. Just like you would see a fig tree or other trees, uh, when it starts to blossom, you know that summer is close. So when you see these things that he's just been describing, then know that my coming is close. What are the things? Well, they started with the abomination of desolation. So the generation that sees that happen in the future, that's the generation that can say, the Lord is coming. And they they can actually say, he's coming in three and a half years. That's how precise they will be able to be at that time. So that's the generation that Jesus is talking about. But the parable of the fig tree, so we did this, and I did this, and I actually taught this. Uh, We took the idea, somebody came up with this idea, I think it was Hal Lindsey, actually, um, that the fig tree was a reference to the nation of Israel. And what this is telling us is that the generation that sees the nation of Israel blossom or the nation of Israel come back into existence, that's the generation that's going to see the Lord's return. Well, it sounded good. It sounded pretty convincing. But it's actually not what it's talking about. And there were efforts to to try to, you know, make uh, from the Old Testament... Uh, Israel is a fig tree. Well, actually, in the Old Testament, God just describes the northern kingdom of Israel as a basket of rotten figs. That's about as close as you get. But it's not a fig tree. Um, But see, the problem, and the reason I'm bringing this up, and I'm implicating myself because I used to teach this as well. Um, We were reading something into the text that wasn't there because everything around us seemed like it was it was supporting that idea. And this is the way we understood it back then. And some people still hold to this today. Obviously, I do not. But we thought, okay, so the, the fig tree is Israel. Israel is reborn. It's, you know, its leaves are, you know, blossoming in 1948. So the generation that sees Israel reborn that's a generation that's going to see all this come to pass. And what's a generation? Well, I don't know, 40 years. I think that's a biblical generation. There, there was that generation that wandered in the wilderness and for 40 years, and then they died, and then the next generation stepped in. So, okay, a generation is 40 years. So in 1948, Israel reblossoms the fig tree. 40 years from that is 1988. And you subtract seven because the the final week is a seven-year period and you have the rapture of the church in 1981. 
but today is September 1st, 2019. So as much as we thought that was the right way to understand it, we were obviously wrong about that. Now, some people are very tenacious and some people said, oh, well, we just had the generation wrong. It was actually not 40 years, but it's a 70 years was a generation. And, you know, we're having the 70th anniversary of Israel's rebirth now. So some people are saying this is the time. But this is reading something into the text that isn't there. Because, again, this is a parable and a parable has one point. And the one point is the people who see the events that I'm speaking for Jesus, the events that I described are the people that will see my return. That's the point that he's making. And so here we are today and we are still in that time of wars and rumors of wars, of persecution, of false religion, and of troubles and all of that. We're still in that. That's, that's where we're at. This is the way the world has been since Jesus uttered these words. And it's still like that today. And it's going to basically go on just like this, ebbing and flowing and, you know. Um, but then there's going to come one point. And again, that's verse 14. There's going to come this abomination of desolation. And that's the mark. And that's when uh, everything else now following Um, that the generation that sees that is the generation that will see the Lord return. So then what what is the, the application? Jesus goes on and he says this, but of the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So this verse has always been here in the Bible. (laughs) For 2000 years, this verse has been here. But a lot of people have ignored it. People still ignore it. People still come up, as recently as just a few years ago, people come up with dates. And, you know, some people have said, well, we know the day or the hour. Even though Jesus didn't know it, we know it. (laughs) And I remember when I was living in England, I can't remember the exact date, but it was like, I think it was 1997, and there was a May date. Um, It might have been May 14th. And this was all spread all around the world. But I was living in the UK at the time. And there was a man in my church and some, he got some of this information and he came to me and he was very desperate. And he wanted to talk to me about this because he was thinking this is probably true. And we were maybe like the end of April at, during this conversation. And let's just say the date was March 14th. Uh, he says, I really need to talk to you about this. I've got to, I've got to. And I said, okay, on May 15th, we will have a long conversation about this. <laughs> but wait, we're supposed to be gone the 14th. Yeah, I know, but we won't be. So we can talk about it on the 15th <laughs> because no one knows the day or the hour. And, and you see, here's the mistake that we make. And, and I've made this mistake myself in the past. We read more into the text that it says. Now, Bible prophecy is important. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And God's given it to us so we could have uh, a sense of the future. But what we, this is where we make our mistake. We try to get more specific than God does. 
We try to, uh, to fill in the blanks. And when we try to fill in the blanks, 99.9% of the time we get it wrong. So we just need to learn to stop doing that. And we need to <coughs> be able to just look at it, you know, the big picture. Yes, God has given us the, the, the prophetic word. And there are, there are prophetic things that are, that are sort of general that we can look at and say, yeah, well, these things, these things are pointing in that direction. So I think the existence of the, of the state of Israel, I think it is definitely a significant prophetic event. And so I look at that and I think, yeah, this means something in relation to the second coming of Christ. But when I, when I get and I start to try to predict that, well, you know, this is going to happen here. And, and, and you know, th- this has been going on for a long time. So now we've got players today that we didn't have. We always hear today, okay, Israel this and Putin over here and now Trump here and, you know, Islam here, and people trying to piece it all together. You can't do that because we don't know. Everything can change so quickly. Because at one time in my lifetime and my teaching time, um, we had it all figured out. And Islam wasn't even in the equation because Islam was not an issue back in the 1980s. The resurgence of Islam has been relatively recent, 20 years or so. And now we look at Islam, and some people have even said, again, trying to adjust the prophetic picture to the current situation, where, uh, you know, prophecy teachers have taught that the Antichrist, for example, would come out of Europe and be connected to the Roman Empire, uh, the ancient Roman Empire that would be the revived Roman Empire, uh, some, after teaching that for years, decided, oh, forget that. It's going to be a Muslim. It's going to be somebody that's going to come out of the Islamic empire. Well, that's what you call newspaper exegesis, which means you read your newspaper, and then you read it into your Bible, and then you say, this is what's going to happen. But Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. So I think what we're supposed to do I think we're supposed to study prophecy and we're supposed to understand it. But we have to recognize we can only understand it to a certain extent. And there are lots of things we just have to leave open and say, well, I don't know about that. I do know Jesus is coming again. I know that for sure. And I do believe that Israel is uh, significant in relation to that, the, the state of Israel today. I think a lot of things going on in the world are, are pointing in that direction. I believe that God is going to take his people, the church, out of the world before that final point that we read about, the abomination of desolation. I believe that God is going to take his people out of the world before that. But those are general things. And when you start trying to get more specific, then you just end up um, creating scenarios that are doomed to never happen. And I know people, and, and it's not th- this kind of uh, prophecy obsession is not fully to blame, but I think it does play a role. I know people today who were waiting 
for Jesus to come in the 1980s. And they were fervent and passionate and spreading the word. And they're not even walking with Christ today. And part of it is because they got caught up in all of that stuff. Now, it's not all of it. There's other reasons, obviously. So we want to be informed on prophecy. So what I do is I just, I read all the prophetic passages over and over. I read um, Ezekiel. I read Daniel. I read what Paul said about prophecy. I read the book of Revelation. I love it. And the more I read it after, you know, almost 40 years of reading now, um, I realize, wow, things that I used to think were so clear. It's like, oh, that isn't as clear as I used to think it was. And so my point is simply, God's given us the big picture. Let's be careful about trying to get too detailed because we're inevitably going to be wrong. And then after a while, people say, oh, well, yeah, you said this. And, you, you, you know, yeah, we remember the Left Behind book series and all of the movies and all of that kind of stuff. And better to just stick with what we know from the text and let God fill in the blanks uh, as time goes on. Because what we're to do is take heed, watch and pray, because you do not know the time. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house, gave authority to um, his servants, to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So what is the message of Jesus in relation to all this stuff? The message is watch. Watch with the sense that uh, I'm ready. And so... I think I used to be very certain. <laughs> now I'm just thinking the Lord could come back in my lifetime, but I just remembered how old I am, so I'm thinking, well, maybe not. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, we, we, we think uh, these things, but yet... One of the things that you will find in scripture is that prophecy, um, God's time frame is different than ours. And, and here's a great example. In the, I, in the latter part of Isaiah, I think maybe chapter 65 or some, somewhere around there, um, the Lord says this, behold, my salvation is coming. My salvation is near. And that was a reference to Jesus. It was 700 years later that Jesus came. So God says it's near. Now at the end of the book of Revelation, we're told, or at the beginning of the book of Revelation, we're told that the the Lord's coming is near. It's at hand. Now 2,000 years have passed. So we, we just have to understand God has a different time frame than we do. But here's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to watch and always be ready. So we don't know when, that's the whole point. We don't know when the Lord's going to return. We need to live like he's going to return tomorrow or today. We just need to be living in a state of readiness. Because if we're living in a state of readiness, then we're going to be doing the thing that God has called us to do in the first place. 
And that is, what what has he called us to do? He's called us to uh, advance his kingdom. You know, the kingdom is here already because Jesus instituted it when he came, but it's not fully here yet. It's, it's going to be fully realized when the Lord returns, but in the process of waiting for him to return, we are to be advancing his kingdom. And we do that by, by spreading the gospel. We do that by establishing churches all around the world. And if we spend all of our time just sitting around trying to figure out when Jesus is going to come back, uh, we're not going to get the job done. And so I love what we read there in the very first part of the book of Acts. The disciples right then were kind of like some Christians today. They thought that the kingdom was going to be set up right then. And so they asked Jesus that very question. They had, they had a lot of things wrong. They didn't understand a lot of things, but they, they kind of felt like they finally figured it out. And so they said, Lord, are you now at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And that idea of restoring the kingdom to Israel, that's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is describing here. So they're asking him, this is before he ascends, are you going to, it's now the time? And Jesus says this, it's not for you to know times or seasons the father has put in his own authority. In other words, that's God's business, but you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses to me in all the world, beginning right here in Jerusalem and all the way out to the ends of the earth. And you know, that word that Jesus spoke to them that day is the word that I would say he says to us today as well. We're not to try to figure out the times and the seasons. We are to live for Christ because God the Father has put all of that in his own hands. We're to live to Christ, for Christ, and God has given us the power to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And as we focus on that, as we uh, give ourselves over to that, all of these things that we're reading about, it's all gonna just roll out. And one day the Lord is gonna come and he's gonna snatch his people up. And this covenant, whatever it is, this prince and making a covenant with the Jewish people, that's going to happen. And then there's going to come that fateful day when that abomination of desolation is set up. And that's going to escalate everything right to the end. But until that happens, we just need to be about the Lord's business. And as I was saying a moment ago, I I, I used to, you know, when I was younger, I felt like, well, surely this is going to happen in my lifetime. Uh, But I don't know now. It might. I hope it does. But it might not either. Now, there are people who say, oh, it's going to, you know, we're going to go on another thousand years, another five thousand. I don't believe that. I think that's a bit naive. Um. Because God does seem to have set the the world stage. But you know, things can change and things ebb and flow and go back and forth. And then for a time, it looks like this. And then suddenly it changes and it's like that. So what we know for sure is no one knows the day or the hour. And we know that Jesus is going to come. And we know that he told us to watch and be ready. So let's do that. So Lord, help us. Um, We thank you for prophecy, predictive prophecy. It is amazing. 
We thank you for what we can know. And we also acknowledge that there are things that we just can't know and won't know. And so we don't want to just spend our time trying to figure things out that are impossible and neglect the thing that we're supposed to do. So help us, Lord, to be about our Father's business. Help us to be occupying with the things of the kingdom. Help us, Lord, to live our daily lives ready, watching, knowing that at any moment you could indeed come. Lord, also knowing that any moment could be our last moment and our own personal rapture will occur. And we don't have any control over that necessarily either. So Lord, help us to just have our lives in order in such a way that they would meet this this exhortation that you've given to be ready. And Lord, I would just pray for those who would even say, my priorities are so out of whack. The kingdom is not my priority. Lord, help them today to get those priorities right. And Lord, I would pray also for anyone that's with us today that has never given their lives to you. Lord, that they would know that your words are true. All these things that we're reading about, Lord, they they happened already in history. The prophetic word foretold them. They came to pass. And the, the things that are yet to come are as certain as the things that have already come. And Lord, help those today who don't know you as Lord and Savior to receive you, to begin to follow you, and to be ready when that moment does come. In Jesus' name.